0: In the name of God, Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. When my oldest daughter was 14, she was convinced that she was an atheist, and she felt sorry for all those sheep, as she called them, that occupied the pews in church, believing in some fictitious being in order to bring some misguided meaning to their weary, unfulfilled lives. Well, this teenager did not simply dismiss the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he left to dwell within us. She professed that there was no God at all, no being to turn to for help, no one to turn to for guidance, no one to turn to for hope. Now, what was incongruent with this conviction of atheism is the fact that my daughter was extremely active in her school's chapter of Amnesty International, so involved that she went on to become the representative to all of the high schools in the entire state of Louisiana. One might argue that her involvement with Amnesty International could very well be in keeping with no belief in God since it was a about people helping people rather than relying on God's grace for intervention. However, one Sunday morning I saw a crack in the wall of her arguments against the existence of God while we were driving in the car. We were returning from a nursing home where I had officiated at a lay-led worship service and I had conscripted her to help me that day because I had shoulder surgery two days before, and needed help carrying my things into the room where the service was held. Now, during that drive, I noticed out of the corner of my eye that my daughter was looking over some handwritten notes and was transcribing them onto another sheet of paper. She finally set the paper between us and asked if I would pray for the names on the list. There were names of people that Amnesty International was petitioning on behalf of. Well, surprised by her request and always ready to challenge my teenager to examine her own convictions, I asked, well, what good would it possibly be for me to pray for them if there's no God, or or had she changed her position on this matter? She simply replied, oh, there is no God, but, you know, just in case... And so the same combination of strong conviction mixed with doubt is what Nicodemus was experiencing during his visit with Jesus in today's gospel. On the one hand, Nicodemus, as a leader of the Jews, does go to find Jesus and says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these things that you do apart from the presence of God. On the other hand, Nicodemus chose to visit Jesus at night, under the cover of darkness. Now the Gospel of John often uses the term night to refer to a time of separation from God. And if we read just a few verses beyond where today's reading ended, Jesus makes this point clear by saying, The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They wanted to stay concealed. So it seems that Nicodemus's visit with Jesus was intended to be a trial, a trial in which Nicodemus was asking to be convinced. A trial that was necessary, as my daughter said, just in case. Now some may say that Nicodemus was speaking out of both sides of his mouth. After all, he tells Jesus that his community believes because they have seen the wondrous signs that can only come from God's presence. But then he begins to doubt as soon as Jesus tells him anything that does not follow his own human logic. Nicodemus replies to Jesus' two attempts at explanation with baffled unbelief he asks how can these things be poor misguided nicodemus but as i think about nicodemus i begin to see the same pattern of conviction mixed with doubt in myself you know i could write i could write volumes cataloging my convictions regarding Jesus and regarding the God who sent him and the Holy Spirit that is the very presence of God. And I can write just as many volumes discussing my doubts that are so subtle and insidious that oftentimes I don't even recognize them as doubts. How many times have I worked myself into a frenzy of worry and anxiety over what are really trivial things, all the while praying for God's guidance, but not really listening. There's something wrong with all that. So many times in my journey, for example, towards ordained ministry, I questioned how I would get through the difficulties that would confront me, while forgetting to look back. To look back at how far God had gotten me on that journey and in the entire journey of my life. In those moments of anxiety, I sometimes forget about those affirming, precious ways in which God was present with me and had cared for me. The same way that Nicodemus obviously had forgotten about the signs that Jesus had performed, prompting a meeting in seclusion and in darkness between the one sent from God and a doubting believer that took place just in case. What Nicodemus portrayed, a person who knew who Jesus really was while still not being able to fully give himself over to faith, should not surprise any of us. It's so easy to read today's gospel lesson and see Nicodemus as one of those Unfortunate ones. You know, the, the ones who were present right there as Jesus performed miracles, but still had doubts. It's easy to read such stories as those and pity those people for their utter foolishness. But I wonder how we'd feel about Nicodemus if we were to read this story and see Nicodemus as not being that other person how would we feel about him if we saw a reflection of ourselves a reflection of the way we live our own faith in christ as the christians that you and i claim to be it seems that jesus expected more from nicodemus when nicodemus asked how can these things be Jesus responded, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Well, Jesus expects more from us, too. Jesus could just as easily ask any one of us, are you not Christians, and yet you do not understand these things? Someone once told me that it was easier for people to believe during Jesus' time on earth because Jesus was living and preaching and performing signs right in front of them for God's children to understand that God was indeed the creator of all and to help them cling to his promise of eternal faith, eternal life. The argument follows that we do not have that same benefit. The argument says, sure, we have the Bible, But we can't replace the living Messiah, the one who was the very incarnation of God. And that's right. That's right. We we can't replace Jesus. And we don't have to. You see, just as God gave us Jesus, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and in the world in a way that is real if only we strive to live into that faith that we profess, continually shedding those inevitable doubts that obscure our vision of God as our creator, the doubts that obscure our vision of Jesus as our Savior, and the doubts that obscure our vision of the Holy Spirit, our sustainer, and these three roles, these three roles comprise the full nature of what we know as the Holy Trinity, the one true God. Our human limits of reasoning and words do not allow us to explain the Trinity in any way that would satisfy human curiosity. Just as Nicodemus could not understand how someone could be born from above, we cannot fully understand the Trinity in the absence of faith. In order to begin to understand the Trinity through Jesus as the light who has come into the world, we may very well have to approach Jesus in darkness, that same darkness of doubt with which Nicodemus approached Jesus. Doubt is often the path that leads one to trust. And trust is the strengthening metal of faith. Faith should be seen as the fountain from which all else, else in our lives flow. Not some derivative that comes about as a result only, only after we examine all of the angles and feel that we're then safe to allow ourselves to embrace the faith that we profess. We have to approach God in vulnerability, knowing that God is with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit, even in those times when darkness surrounds us, making faith a thing that must be sought out through the darkness of that obscured vision. Faith is more than something we have. Faith, even in the presence of doubt, is how we're taught to live, isn't it? Because the life of a Christian requires that we hold fast to an all-encompassing belief in the God that we know as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that true and limitless faith in God just may blossom forth from something that began on a just-in-case basis. Nine months after my conversation in the car with my doubting daughter, she boarded a plane for Chihuahua, Mexico to evangelize and spread the gospel of hope to the impoverished people of that region after her time in the darkness, she emerged into the brilliant light of Christ with a passion so intense that never may never have been. May never have been without the transformation that often comes about through doubt. My daughter asked me to pray just in case, and that just in case became a reality.